0: Welcome to the mini break. Your daily podcast the biggest storylines and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Friday, April A bonus second podcast for all of you listeners, as promised, as I am joined by our newest Crack Rackets contributor, Damien Koost, to break down all of Friday's action happening across the ATP and WTA tours. We've had Four outstanding events this week, the two 500-level events in Stuttgart and Barcelona, the two fifties in Istanbul and Belgrade, delivering the goods as well. That's why we've run so long on these mini-break podcasts this week. It takes almost an hour, sometimes more, to talk through all of the incredible tennis. Don't want to leave any performance on the table because, again— all of these players still alive have put forward special performances at least in one match so far this week. That's what Davey and I talk about the top performers from throughout the week. We break down Thursday's quarterfinal matches, talk about the lessons we can take from the success. Of players like Simona Halep, Arena Sabalenka, Alina Svitolina in Stuttgart. Players like Stefano Sitsipas, Yannick Sinner, obviously Rafa still alive. In Barcelona, we had a fantastic battle of young stars in Anaconia and Marta Kostjuk in Istanbul. And then, of course, number one player in the world, Novak Djokovic, playing in Belgrade this week. So, across the board, fantastic action. Must-watch action for us tennis fans as we all try and prepare gather data, information, for the 2021 French Open. But again, Damien Couste joins me on today's podcast to recap all of Thursday's matches, talk about everything happening in the tennis world. That's the plan for today's podcast. Of course, the reason we're able to do this day in, day out here at Crack Rackets is because of the support we get from all of you listeners, from our Crack Rackets Patreon family, and of course, from our friends at Midwest Sports. Go to MidwestSports.com right now to find the best equipment at the best prices. You use our promo code, CR15. You'll get 15% off your order, free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. MidwestSports.com The promo code is CR15. With that in mind, let's get to my conversation with brand new Crack Rackets contributor, Damian Poost. joining us on the podcast today to help break down all of Friday's ATP and WTA action. You know him as our newest contributor here at Cracked Rackets. You may also know his work from tennis Twitter, from LastWordOnTennis.com. I know him as my friend Damien Coos. Damien, welcome to the Mini Break podcast. First time of many. Great to have you on the show. How are you doing today, my friend?
1: Hey, it's been a great day of tennis. So I'm definitely excited to to talk with you about it.
0: I am happy to have someone to talk about it with. It's crazy, right? You look across the board, really from, and if you include, it doesn't matter what time zone you're in because you've got four ATP and WTA tour level events, all of them in Europe. So, you know, they take place throughout the day. You've got North American challengers happening as well. It's legitimately sunrise to sundown tennis. What's your process? I'm curious. Are you someone who's watching two matches at once or do you try and keep things a little bit more organized?
1: Uh, well, I definitely watch too, much, too at least two matches at once. <laughs> uh, I only have two screens, so mm-hmm. it's pretty much my laptop and the, and the TV that I have. So, mm-hmm. you know, if I want to watch more than more than that, then I'm switching between between tabs uh but definitely at least two matches it's it's simply impossible to to follow tennis by watching one one uh, you know just one stream at this at this moment today i i woke up to rome challenger and then i finished at stuttgart and you know and i don't didn't even catch like 50% of it there's it's simply incredible how how much tennis there is no only, only sundays are 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 free but then they're also scheduling the finals at the same time <laughs> usually so
0: yeah, I could have said it better myself. The key thing, especially uh, nowadays, if you miss a match, go search it on YouTube in the first, I would say, f- you know, three hours after the match. You're going to be able to find a good 8 to 12 minute clip. Then the ATP WTA2 are going to yank those highlight videos down. But no, I agree with you. It's like, I always will have one half dedicated to men's, one half of the screen dedicated to women's. And then I'm like, all right, who's closer to finishing the set? Like, down the home stretch, I was preparing for today's podcast, and that Sabalenka-Kantave match, I was like, oh no, it's going to a third set? Like, I really needed this second half of the screen to watch a little more tennis. I guess now I gotta focus in on Sabalenka-Kantave instead, but again, that's the fun of being a tennis fan. There's so much exceptional action happening across levels, across the globe, you know, here in the States, it's postseason play for the college tennis season, and oh man, was the Florida-Tennessee match here on Friday spectacular. That's gonna get its own Great Shot podcast. So again, we're not going to be talking about that today. But let's start by talking about the WTA 500 level event we have this week, Damian, in Stuttgart. Because week in, week out, the WTA Tour just continues to l- deliver the goods. And it does feel like now it is a a group of, I would say, six or seven players. It's always, it feels like, Sabalenka in those quarterfinals, Svitolina in those quarterfinals. Uh, you've gotten a lot of Jess Pegula recently, Annette Conteve, Petra Kvitova. Overall, you look at today's matches, three quarterfinal matches go three sets. The other one featured Simona Halep, who I think has re-established herself perhaps as the ...top contender heading into this French Open title. Let's start with that Halep-Alexandrova match. Simona Halep today, 6-1, 6-4 victory. Alexandrova had looked excellent in her two victories early in the week. These indoor hardcourts seemed to suit her game so well. She hit through Belinda Bencic yesterday... What was so amazing to me today, Damien? You look at Halep's performance. She was unfazed by anything Alexandrova threw at her, and her ability to move the ball around the court, her movement skills—just again, how comfortable she looks sliding around the clay. Is she the favorite entering the 2021 Women's French Open?
1: I mean, as you said, the the clay conditions in Stuttgart aren't you know aren't really. They probably have really little to do with Ron mm-hmm. Carlos or Rome, how that plays. We've seen that a lot of times, that players succeeding at Stuttgart like um, Coco van der Wey or know, Laura Ziegenmund didn't really do well in the latter part of the clay season. But in case of Halep, we already, you know, we already know that she, she's probably going to do extremely well. And as you said, that that win against Alexandre was insane especially in these conditions because alexandrova should have a lot easier time to just to keep kaleb on the back foot and she couldn't really do that so i would definitely say she's the she's the top contender i saw some people saying that barty after after today's win was that 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 the mentality that she was showing in these wins against plishkova kutsova in, in in miami uh, but I don't think Barty has the game to to much Halep on clay. I, I think it's really if they if they met and maybe they meet in the in the finals on Sunday, Halep would be a, a very big favorite for me. Maybe not so much here, but in, in conditions like at Ron Garros, definitely.
0: Mm -hmm. You talk about those conditions. I'm fascinated to hear your thoughts. Indoor clay courts are not something we see a lot of in ATP and WTA tour level events and talking to some of these players in their press conferences. They've talked about the speed of these courts. I love it. Damien, indoor clay courts, I'm all in on. It's a it's a fast, slow court. And what I mean by that, because obviously that's an oxymoron, these courts are fast enough that, you know, you can still hit winners. It's not slowing everything down. It's not unplayable conditions. It's not like playing in cement. At the same time, these courts aren't so fast and they're not playing so clay like that. I feel like the majority of these players' movements haven't been compromised the way movement is normalized. Normally compromised at clay, particularly in Paris. What have you thought of these conditions? I- I'm all in.
1: Yeah, I don't really have anything to disagree with in what you, <laughs> in what you said. I mean, <clears throat> definitely for players like Karolina Pliskova, she's moving better here mm-hmm. than, than she would on, on well, actual clay, on, on, on clay outdoors. I'm not sure. You know, we see so so little of indoor clay that I'm not even sure if these conditions in Stuttgart are. Uh, you know are, are in any way comparable to any other indoor clay. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, I played on indoor clay in my life, but I'm I'm not. It's not easy to just compare it by watching the top players, you know, see if if, if these were the same conditions. So I, I imagine this is something really unique to the to the tour. And honestly, it's the event in Stuttgart. Honestly, is always has one of the best fields. This year is obviously no exception, and I absolutely love loving love watching it. Uh, even even to today or or yesterday i've been you know re- recently i haven't been watching that much women's tennis and this event is reminding me why i should mm-hmm. and, yeah. and 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 the, maybe it, it wouldn't be great if 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 these conditions were to were to be the the main clay we know but it's it definitely serves great as as that one week in stuttgart where where the where some of the players that usually don't do well at rome Rangaros, Madrid, they they can just come here and and succeed.
0: Case in point of Katerina Alexandrova, right? Who was like, I think, 8 and uh, 15 or 16 in WTA Tour level clay court events before coming to these indoor courts in Stuttgart. I was really impressed with her ability to find her level as that match went on. You could tell she was pressing early in the first set because Halep just had an answer for everything she threw at her. And, you know, Alexandrova, who had served so well on the week, just that first serve abandoned her a little bit in that first set. But, you know, just to round out the conversation, Conversation on Simona Halep. She's seventy-five and twenty-two overall since the start of the twenty-nineteen season in clay court matches, in particular. Damien, she's twenty-six and four since twenty-nineteen. She's fifteen and one since the tour restarted last August. Her only loss—that straight-set loss she took to Iga Świątek—and of course, everyone was losing to Iga at that French Open, but. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason you look at Tennis Abstract's ELO ratings, which again, it's who you're playing, not when or where. She's, you know, number three overall, but the number one clay cor- uh, player via clay court ELO ratings, and that makes a lot of sense. Now, it's interesting you throw Ashley Barty out there as well, and it's worth noting, by the way, Simona Halep right now, over her last 52 weeks, she's breaking serve 53% of the time. That's 4% better than the second place person. Uh, that gap of Four percent is the same gap between the second place person and the thirteenth place person. So, just speaks to how well Simona Halep is seeing the game right now. Clearly, that you know the physical side, the mental side, matching up. She is in the peak of her career, but so is Ashley Barty, who has you know simply put, Damien been outstanding. Really, since the start of the 2019 season, since she began her breakthrough at the WTA level, again, I just want to throw a stat at you here before uh, I, you know, want to get your take on her performance today. But you look for Ashley Barty, 15 and 3 on clay, 17, uh, excuse me, 77 and 17 overall, an 82% win percentage in her WTA level matches since the start of 2019. I think quietly, The reason she didn't play at all last year, she was like, oh, I have nine months to work on my two-handed backhand. Imagine how good I'm going to look when I come out in 2021 and can swing comfortably through the two-hander. She's doing that right now, Damien, and her ability to hit two-handed backhand returns in particular just to neutralize the Pliskova first serve as much as possible. It's why she won the match. It's probably why she won Miami as well. It's crazy to think, but she has gotten better since 2019.
1: It's actually funny that you mentioned the back because I I read a quote from her today that said when she was 10 she wanted to, she really wanted to have a one handed backhand, <laughs> but the coach wouldn't let her because she was just too too small for that. Um, but anyhow, uh, yeah, I also didn't really think that you know, just, just she she obviously didn't waste time during uh, during the pandemic uh, there, there's been these photos of her in the in the stands of some sports events but but i mean she she, she obviously trained hard and uh, even before the the date you mentioned the start of 2019 i remember he had uh, she had that the, the latter half of 2018 she had some sort of like a really consistent period where she only lost two grand slam champions and uh, you know just, just all all the losses she had was were simply to complete to elite players she, she simply doesn't lose to anyone ranked you know, below 50 probably because of how unique her game style is as well that, that players with less ability struggle to adapt I think today actually Pishkova played really well for the most part just as she did in her in her previous two matches against Ostapenko and, and Korpac and pretty much put herself in a winning position she was really aggressive on second serve return. In the in the first set, especially there were like there were games when Barty just didn't know what to do. She also made like five double faults, which I believe was also a result of that pressure uh, put put up by Pitliszkova. Uh, but the slice really helped. Uh, not on, and as you said, she she's also getting more comfortable with, with hitting the from the two hander uh just normally but but the slice was also really important against plishkova because she's not really known for bending her knees low and and uh, against better movers maybe on clay it's not gonna be as effective but in this these stuttgart conditions which we talked about seems you know they seem to be made for her mm-hmm.
0: No, absolutely. And you look for Ashley Barty. What's the thing she did so well today? Play first strike tennis. Be the aggressor when the opportunity presented itself. And, you know, the two greatest opportunities to play a first strike off of your first serve points and off of your second serve returns. And you look for Ashley Barty. She goes 30 of 38 on her first serve points. Whenever she had that first forehand, she did such a good job of changing up her target. Sometimes it was the approach down the line. Sometimes it was short angle. Sometimes it was just a drive right at the body of Pliskova just because, again, she is, as you mentioned, not the most fluid of athletes. And then, you know, she goes 25 of 39 on her second serve return points as well and just was able to pressure Pliskova with her first strikes. And she had to because, as we've mentioned, Pliskova's been excellent here in Stuttgart. These quick courts, perfect for her. She's also moved very well on these clay courts. And, you know, today she made 65% of her first serves and won 65% of those points, but just wasn't able to get enough clean looks on the Ashley Barty serve. And, you know, it's a credit to Barty who really just, as we've talked about, it's the fact that she can do a little bit of everything. It's that she can take away the thing you want to do most and then also impose her will on you, and you just look, it's so clear, it is the most well-rounded skill set of all the incredible young talents, and that includes Andrescu and that includes Osaka. In my opinion, Barty's the one who can do the most things. And like, yes, Halep's my favorite, because again, one loss to Iga, that's why I think she enters the French Open, particularly the slowing down of the surface that's going to be even better for her but yeah, if Ashley Barty wins the French Open, it's not going to surprise me. I imagine it's not going to surprise you either.
1: Yeah, it was a bit of a surprise in 2019. I think maybe not the fact that Barty won a slam, but the fact that it came on clay. Mm-hmm. But she's definitely proven herself in, in big matches also on this surface. I still think it's her worst. Mm-hmm. But that, you know, it, it's it, it, it crazy makes it all the too. more impressive, right? That, that, that she already has a slam on this surface and it's probably her worst. Worst. Mm-hmm.
0: No, it's it's absolutely crazy to think in just some numbers. I'm curious because now I want to put that to the test. You look for Ashley Barty who in her career and you know she still is what? Only I think she turns 25 years old tomorrow. So happy early birthday or I guess Ooh. today where you are Damien. So happy early birthday to Ashley Barty. Hopefully she can get a title out of this. But you look in her career in tour level matches she's 178 and 72 which is a 71% win percentage for a 24 year old. That's free nuts. You look across surfaces. In hard court matches, she's 117 and 43. In grass court matches, she's 30 and 13. In clay court matches, she's 31 and 36. Uh excuse me, 31 and 16. So you're right. Uh mm-hmm. it has been her worst surface. Her serve on average about two her first serve about two percent less effective. Her second serve about a percent less effective. She wins about the same number of return points as well. Looking at these career splits, what's crazy to me is just how steady it is. Ashley Barty is the same player on every surface, and that's not an easy thing for players to do, right? That's maybe one of her best skills.
1: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> as I as I said just two minutes ago, that you know, <laughs> this was probably the, the the most impressive thing about her, about her around Gannos title that uh, at this stage of her career she has a slam and it's on her worst, so. there's so much space to improve (laughs) Uh, even after that she was named like a heavy favorite for Wimbledon obviously that was I think the year that she lost to Alison Risk but Mm -hmm. it didn't work out but any any future hardcourt or grass slam she enters she has to be considered one of the top favorites and right now she's also one of the top favorites for Garros. that's for sure
0: yeah, and the good news is she's probably got at least 40 more slams in her career to play, yeah. so certainly we expect her to run up that count. Uh, again, two more matches in Stuttgart. They were both three sets, so they're worth talking about for a bit. Alina Svitolina, who I did a long segment on yesterday's podcast, so I won't repeat all of those numbers again today, but she's just quietly been fantastic since the tour restarted another great win for her 677562 uh i mentioned it she's made the quarterfinals in 8 of the 11 events she's played since the tour resumed this is now her third semifinal and then here today against Kvitova third straight win against Kvitova in this match you look at what Svitolina was able to do so successfully uh, in particular i think it's been the improvement of her first serve her ability to turn that shot into a weapon you look for her in this match against uh Kvitova she made 64% of her first serves 56 of 77 on those first serve points That's the thing that's left for Svinolina, right? Making things a little bit easier for herself because we know physically, you know, she can match anyone stroke for stroke, point for point, hour for hour on the tennis court. We know she can move the ball really well around the court. She's getting more and more comfortable at the net as well. But does she have the big weapon, the big serve to earn herself the sort of easy points you need to win? to win seven matches in a row at a Grand Slam. To me, Damien, the more I watch her play, the closer I think she's getting to answering that question as a yes. And that's the last thing, because if you throw a big first serve into the mix for Alina Svitolina, now I don't know how you beat her.
1: Yeah, I mean, what, what, what that was the year, 2018, when she had that quarterfinal against Halep, the, when she had a double break, and, mm-hmm. and, then, and then lost at, at Garros, right? I thought, I thought that was definitely a big chance. And she's she, I I would also say she's capable today. It was really important to stop Kvitova playing this well from, from attacking. And as you said, a, a big serve helps with that, because there, there wasn't really much space for Kvitova to start imposing her power. And Svitorina did a lot of things right. Well, <laughs> no, obviously, it was. The, you know, the mental in the the mental aspect here is 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 great. That that she stuck around in this match, just down to five and and the match point, then down four or five and the, and the, and the match point. Perhaps for Kvitová, you know, it kind of when you lead five two in the second, it kind of might might feel that I'm still gonna win. Like this this one match point is not that important, and then it goes away, and you just never get another one. And Svitolina definitely made 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 sure that. Uh, you know the first said that she, that she was never gonna get she was never gonna give kvitova another chance and she used her variety she used a lot of a lot of uh, drop shots as you said that the, the net game is is clearly improving so she would she definitely made sure that kvitova never got another chance after after missing these these two in the second
0: She hit this uh, a couple of on-the-run backhand passes. I think it was uh, 5-4, Kvitova serving in that second set, first point of the game, which again, if you're trying to break to stay alive, you want to win that first point of the game. Kvitova got her stretched big forehand into that ad corner, and Svitolina hits this unbelievable short-angle pass. And then, I believe, to get the break at the start of the third set, she hit the exact same passing shot, and it was just... You know, Kvitova, oh my God, to build that set and 4-1 lead, her backhand today, her willingness to just turn into that backhand return, cross court down the line, didn't matter. She was playing first strike tennis, and you look for her in this match. She, you know, makes 69% of her first serves, wins 64% of those points, wins 63% of the points on Svitolina's second serve. So when the opportunity to play first strike tennis presented itself, she was taking advantage of it. But it's a credit to Svitolina for making this match physical, for extending rallies as frequently as possible. Even the rallies where she knows, look, I may get this ball, but I'm going to give Petra a sitting forehand, and Petra's still going to win this court. But by making this ball now, if I can get to the third set, it's going to pay dividends. And it absolutely did. And for Petra Kvitova, she played an hour and 40 minutes of flawless tennis. But you could tell the soccer match from two days before was kind of wearing on her as that third set went along, and Svitolina was just the fresher of the two. When I look at this match, Because, you know, for Svitolina, the problem is it's not just a Kvitova. She's got to beat probably three players with Kvitova's type of power to win a Grand Slam title. Today was one of those occasions where... I, I just thought her first, she won enough free points. And I think that's a huge development to note. And it helps, we keep talking about these conditions, it helps that this ball is flying through the Stuttgart court and it's particularly easy uh, for these players to get clean contact on their serve. But that was my takeaway. It was the first time I'd seen Svitolina just you know, out-hit someone with a significant power advantage.
1: I don't know if she if I would out say that the she out out hit, yeah. the wrong.
0: you're right that's the wrong word I, I outlast outlast someone yeah but outlast definitely
1: command. but the, the, as you said the question is if she's gonna be able to beat three players like that and mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure if this match you know tells me that she would I mean this was still uh some it was basically at 2-5 I think she hit a, a backhand that landed just at the baseline and then mm-hmm. Kvitov from you know, uh, Kvitová's shot went long, so you know, for a match like that, I mean, if, if she's gonna have to do it three times, I don't think that bodes well for her chances. Just, mm-hmm. just, just how hard it was. But obviously, if, you know, we, we know that women's tennis is, is still kinda open, as much as as there are probably like ten or fifteen women that will be looking at once around. Garros rolls rolls around, so so. If the right draw, you know, comes up for her, then anything can happen, really. she yeah. She's definitely doing uh, a lot of, you know, she's definitely working on her game and, and making sure that the, that the chance will appear at some point. It's just yeah. whether she will be able to take it.
0: Yeah, it's just, it's funny because I think we've all accepted Mugarutha has re-entered mm-hmm. her prime, right? We consider yeah. Muguruza at the top of the game with anyone else, her and Svitolina are the same age, and it's like Fidilina is actually quietly playing the best tennis of her career, and it's just not as noticeable because she doesn't ha- she doesn't have you know the ceiling mm-hmm. that of a Garbine Muguruza. But no, uh, you're absolutely right. The other thing it's worth pointing out, I think it was in the five four game that she got broken in the second set, and in the game she got broken in the third as well. Kavita missed two. Atrocious overheads like was on mm-hmm. top of the net, had the chance to put them away and missed one of them wide, uh, shanked the other one long. And it was, it was like they, that's why you practice your overheads, folks. Uh, because she makes those overheads, she probably wins the match. Um, or at least she makes the first one in that second set, she very well could have won the match. That's the margins in tennis. And speaking of thin margins, no one plays matches closer to the vest than Arena Sapalanka, who I swear to God, Damien, she just was kind of like, I kind of want to play another hour, so I'm going to lose the second set to Conteve. But then she ends up winning the match, 7-5-4, 6-6-1. I'm a huge Annette Conteve fan. I think she is the gate, you know, the ultimate litmus test of can you be a top 15 player in the women's game if you can beat Annette conteve Maybe. Uh, if you can't beat her, no, because Kanteve just moves the ball so well around the court. But Sapolinka showed off in that third set in particular when she is landing, returns, her aggressive game style will overwhelm anyone.
1: Yeah. As we talked uh, earlier about Alexandrova, that's also another player that has... Uh, mm-hmm pretty terrible well maybe not terrible but i think her win loss record on clay it's at- on the wta tour was like 52 53% before this week something like that so just just over 50 so it's also quite a bit of a surprise to see her do so well but then again the the conditions in Stuttgart probably help such players just who you know go for every single shot who played the game with so little hesitation and yeah i totally agree and every single match of hers seems to go free uh, (laughs) which is a great thing i mean if if i was a spectator then i would buy the tickets because then then you get a lot of playtime yeah and it's also it's always entertaining too so
0: Mm -hmm. completely agree with you you mentioned it 20 and 16 she is now in her career Uh, 21 and 16 excuse me with this victory over Net Contovey in WTA tour level uh, events uh, uh, matches on clay yeah it's you you're so right. The more we've talked about it, I have to just it is worth keeping in perspective for all of you listeners. These are indoor clay courts in Stuttgart. The ball is moving faster. It's going to be that much harder to hit through the courts in Paris. But you know who's got the sort of power to do that? Arena Sabalenka, who again just kind of found her rhythm uh and ultimately advances in 3 set. It's a heck of a week for Conteve, who I believe has now made the quarterfinals or better in 7 of the 16 events she's played since the pan- uh, uh, since the tour restarted post pandemic and you look for Annette Conteve in the WTA ranking she now uh, currently floating right around her career high I believe she's sitting let's see Annette Conteve currently at number 29. oh that's that's way too low yeah, she's better than that's... the number 29 player
1: yeah that's not that's not around her career high but yeah yeah she she she, she definitely should be higher.
0: Yeah, no, it's, again, that's one of those rankings protections things. Let's see where yeah. she's at right now. Via the ELO ratings on Tennis Abstract, Annette Conteve currently number 17 by ELO. That feels much more accurate. That's
1: more like it, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's 10 spots, but those 10 spots matter to me and Damien. okay, listeners? Uh, but, yes, again, that's that was your Friday action in Stuttgart in terms of the semifinals we've got on Saturday. Should be... Two very, very exciting matches. Things going to start, uh, I believe, with Barty versus Fidolina, Then it's Sabalenka-Halep, the nightcap. Your thoughts on Saturday's
1: semifinals? Well, uh, I would definitely stick with Halep. You know, Sabalenka, I just... If she makes such a mess of, of every single match she plays, I mean, at some point it has to you know, hit her. I mean... If you if you go if you go the distance in every single match, if you play with just so little hesitation, just going for every single shot against someone like Halep, it can work out, obviously. But I I just don't trust you know players who 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 have so many unforced errors on clay. I just always expect them to 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 lose for some reason. It might be it might be wrong, obviously. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean...
0: They've played four times in their career, Halep's, uh 3-1 and one on those four occasions. All four were on hard courts. The last time they played was Dubai, uh, 2020. That was a three-set win for Halep. Uh, no, sorry, I, did, I didn't mean to cut you off, but to no, your no, point, okay. the one thing you would say about Sabalenka is she does have the weapons to hit through Halep, right? Especially uh, in these conditions, indoor hard courts. She will have—I mean, she's going to play offense against anyone, and I would say even more so than Halep. Alexandrova uh, because of how dynamic the ball Sabalenka hits she does at least have those weapons but Halep just one-twos you and lollygags you to death and it's like it's do does Sabalenka have the discipline to beat Halep that's the question
1: maybe here in Stuttgart but you know if they meet again in a month I I'm, I'm probably counting on Halep anyway tomorrow it's It's anyone's game, I think. But uh, you said that uh, they didn't play on Craig, right? That's the same for uh, Barty and Svitolina?
0: Absolutely. They have played seven times in their career. Svitolina, a 5-2 advantage, but Barty's won the last two. She beat her in the Shenzhen Finals 2019. She also beat her in Miami a few weeks ago, 6-3, 6-3. Uh, it's an interesting matchup because certainly Svitolina has got the speed. She's able to counter punch. She's able to do things against Barty. You know, to beat Svitolina, you've got to have the big weapon to hit her off the court as well. I thought that three and three match in Miami was a lot closer than the scoreline indicated. I thought Svidilina has a ton of chances, and looking back at the stats from that match, uh, I believe uh, for Ashley Barty or excuse me for Alina Svidilina, she had seven break chances, only converted two of them. That one's interesting to me. I think that's the sort of match. Again, you're trying to prove you're ready to go on a Grand Slam uh, streak. Go beat Barty tomorrow, Svidilina.
1: Yeah and uh, I also agree that the the Miami match was actually pretty close and on clay if anything it should be even closer i mean if both decide to to, to use their variety tomorrow that's going to be the most entertaining one the more entertaining one of the two i think sabalenka halep will probably resort more to linear hitting while mm-hmm. while this one is is what i think will be more aesthetically pleasing
0: See, this is good. We get to disagree because I just think okay. Arena Sabalenka matches are inherently the most entertaining matches right now in tennis. I mean, after that Cerebos tormo ostrova match, 6-0 no, down, is. that was like the bait, and she hooked me in, and it worked. Um, but you just never know what's going to happen in a Sabalenka match. Like, even today against Contevis, she goes down 1-0, rips off six straight games in that third set. You're like, oh, Okay. Cool. Like, that works. Uh, and it's just, it's just that's half the fun. But, no, again, both of the matches in Stuttgart going to be excited. Promises to be a fun day of tennis. Let's quickly move on to Istanbul before we get to the men's side. And, you know, we don't have to spend too long on Istanbul. The results uh, from... Friday's match is pretty straightforward now. Uh, it was Veronica Kudermatova, another victory for her. Three sets over Anna Bogdan, Elisa Mertens, 6-4, 4 over Katarina Sidnyakova, And then Serana Kirstea gets a retirement advance from Fiona Farrow after she wins the first set, 6-4. But the match I just want to talk about briefly. Very rarely, if ever, does Anna Konya enter the court uh, at a power deficit to her opponent, I swear to God, Martha Kostiuk hits the ball bigger than Konya, and that blew my mind. And this match was everything I wanted it to be. Two young, talented players who have played exceptional tennis of late. Kostiuk finalist in Abu Dhabi to start the season. We all saw Konya in Miami. Her run, I believe she's, you know, had a bunch of success at the ITF level as well, something like twenty-six and twelve or thirteen since the tour resumed in August. It was a seven five, four, six, six three victory for Marta Kostiuk. You look at the stats from this match, uh Kostiuk able to uh Win 65% of her first serve points, able to save eight of the 13 break points that she faced. But this was an either-or match. Total points: one. Kostyuk 108, Konya 107. I just think Marta Kostyuk right now, I believe, is the third highest-ranked player under the age of 19. It goes: Coco Golf one, Leyla Fernandez two, Kostyuk three. She hasn't won the title that Fernandez has, that, you know, Clara Tawson won earlier, that Maria Camilla Osorio Serrano just won as well. But I like Kostiuk as much as I like any of these next gen women coming up the game. And I'm curious what you think of her game, Damien, because it takes three seconds to be like, oh, she just she's in that Sabalenka power tennis neighborhood where it's like the ball just comes off of your racket differently than everyone else's
1: yeah watching watching matches like like Kostik, uh, against Kony, uh or Sabalenka today you know you, it's kind of easy to see what the trend is amongst the youngsters in the in the women's game it's going to be real powerful hitting from both wings as as all as all these uh, up and coming girls can do but Kostick can definitely be more special than that uh, ever since the, she made that Austrian open fair round when she was like 15 was she still or 16 i mean mm-hmm. there's, i've definitely been keeping some tops on her and i think as you said she doesn't have the title she doesn't have that that one deep run but she has she showed up on the big stage already like at, at last year's us open she was absolutely excellent in that uh, in that tosaka match and i'm definitely excited to see more of her tomorrow uh the, against Konyu as you, said, as you said, it was like you know, just a huge fight for who's gonna lead, who's gonna who's gonna get the opponent into push the opponent behind the baseline, force the opponent into defense, and it was fun to figure out, you know, see what Anna Konyu has when, when as you said, she she's she's for for the first time maybe not, but for, for the, she's very rarely forced into this position where she just has to do whatever it takes to be hit harder than the opponent, because usually that's that just comes naturally.
0: Yeah, it's... I mean, I also like the fact that she can play some slice, right? I thought that was a thing she did really well against Konya today, incorporating the drop shot, and I'll continue yeah. to say it. Give Ana Konya two months... Like, just give her two months to actually refine her rhythm, regain her movement Her flow in WTA-level matches Re, uh, re, uh, uh what, what, I'm blanking on the word here But just, uh, you know, sort of get familiar once refamiliarize herself, that's the word With the pace of the WTA-level game Because you can see, she is still a half-step slow right now Right? Like, she just looks like her movement Because she, she does move well She's got an explosive first step But it just feels like everything's still a half-second off. That being said, I I might like Anaconya's down the line backhand more than I like anyone else's down the line backhand. When she turns into it, it's just a winner. And like there were a bunch of errors in this matches. Both of these players were comfortable swinging for the fences, and I agree that's the direction the women's game is headed. But this was a fun one, and I, I just think both of these players. Uh, are going to be factoring into the conversation over these next 10 years. Maybe not, you know, multiple time Grand Slam champions, not trying to say anything like that, but we're going to see them in second weeks of slams. And I think it's going to be across a couple of different surfaces. Is that fair?
1: Of course. I mean, especially Konyu, who lost so much time because of these injuries. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she's what, 21, 22, something like that? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, no. And, and again. Yeah, and
1: she's already 22. lost one a year and a half to injuries. So, yeah, and so
0: let's just get her healthy yeah. more than anything else, right? Yeah. And just see her pro- play a prolonged stretch of time because, uh, yeah, I, I would agree with you. I, it's it's, funny. it's really you impressive where she's... Yeah, oh,
1: yeah, sorry. Who,
0: I was going to say ceiling-wise. No, 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 I, I didn't mean to cut you ceiling-wise. off. Ceiling-wise. Please finish your thought. Yeah, uh, yeah. or Konya?
1: It's hard. <laughs> it's really hard. <laughs> uh, maybe Konyu, but actually today kind of convinced me even though she lost but as you said that incorporating some of these slices or the, the drop shots some of these were absolutely excellent uh that was an area of her game that uh, they didn't know she had that that was perhaps a bit unexplored where uh, most matches I remember from her were just slamming that's that backhand slamming that forehand <laughs> uh, i think the first match from her i've seen was uh, at wimbledon against english card she lost like nine seven in the in this in the third and she was just absolutely obliterating the boulder and today that w- that was a new that was something new in her game that, uh, that i saw and that kind of convinces me that maybe she's she's capable of more and uh uh, that 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 thought that I was starting to make was that uh, it's even more impressive you know looking at how good she is right now when you consider that she she lost so much time because of injuries in, in such a at such a young state you know such an early stage of her career so maybe yeah as you said give her two months give her three months <laughs> and maybe she's just gonna blow up it's possible mm-hmm. it's possible
0: I agree. I I see a lot of, when I watch Konya and Tossin play, similar forehand grips, similar exceptional backhands. I like them both equally. Like I do think there's just going to be a place for them in that top 30, top 20 mix. And it feels like you can say that about 75 different women right now, Uh, but just the way they strike the ball, it's different. Than the majority of other players, but on this day, Marta Kostjuk just too good. She advances with the three set victory over Anakonya. Now, you look at the semifinals for this event in Istanbul. As I mentioned, uh, it was Kudermatova and Mertens both advancing, uh, I believe, now. Sorry, I X'd out of the draw there. You look at the draw for tomorrow, pulling it up here now in Istanbul 2. Very, very fun matches, and things will start out with Mertens versus Kudermatova, then going to go Kostya Kirsteja. I love that Mertens-Kudermatova match, Damien. I think that one, I mean, that's just your staple. One of those two players is going to be in the French Open round of 16. I like. I promise you that now
1: yeah yeah it's very possible especially with kudermetova's recent charleston title uh mertens is always so solid i mean n- no one ever talks about her because <laughs> she, she's always just you know under the radar uh, th- that that's that typical player who's always gonna be in the top 20 always gonna be somewhere around there it's and is you know extremely it's extremely respectable what 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 she is as a tennis player but no one ever talks about her and it's maybe a bit sad but but she's she still keeps making these semis she keeps making these quarters and i'm definitely really excited for tomorrow as well kistea has been playing very well too also kind of under the radar maybe but but i think she she's had like crazy win loss record in in recent months Mm-hmm.
0: No, I mean, I did a podcast right before the WTA Tour resumed last August where I said the five players I am watching most closely, and I wanted to do it about the generation are, and I, I said it was Mertens, Contave, Sakari, and Donna Vekic. Now, three of those four players, you know, Mertens is the WTA wins leader in 2020. Sakari, semifinals, quarterfinals, Contefe, same deal. They're just, you know, 24, 25 years old, all entering the primes of their careers. They're just really, really good. And it sucks for them that they may not have the ceilings of the Osaka's, the Andrescu's who have already taken the game by storm, but all of those players so well-rounded, all of their games translate across surfaces as well. I agree with you, Mertens, uh, smart decision for her by the way to go get a bunch of wins in Istanbul get a bunch of matches under her belt to get comfortable here early in the clay court season but yeah it promises to be a fun day in Istanbul and overall should be an exceptional championship weekend on the WTA tour hey cracked fans As winter slowly turns into spring and all of us look forward to getting back on the outdoor tennis courts, we here at Crack Rackets want to ensure that you listeners have everything you need to make sure your return to outdoor tennis is a successful one. That's where our friends at Gamma Sports come in. Now, if you need new strings, new grips, new court equipment, ball hoppers, machine tools, and accessories, whatever it may be, our friends at Gamma have it all for you. They've also, of course, got dampeners, over grips, replacement grips. They've got it all. And if you go to their website, GammaSports.com tennis right now, you use our promo code CRACK20, you'll get 20% off your order. Now, I know Gamma has a new string pattern in the queue called the React Pro which all of you gamma string users will enjoy and even if you're not using gamma strings maybe now's the time to start but they've also got polyesters everything you could be looking for from a tennis equipment standpoint all in one location just go to gammasports.com/tennis right now use that promo code CRACK20 to get 20% off your order again gammasports.com/tennis use that promo code CRACK20 to get 20% off your order With that in mind, let's flip gears and talk about some of the men now, Damian, and I apologize. I know it's getting late where you are, so I don't want to keep you for too long, but when you look at the Barcelona quarterfinal results, you know, for me, the thing that stands out most, I would say, above anything else, Stefano Cizipas now what is that? Seven straight matches, eight straight matches. He's won on the clay. He hasn't dropped a set. Another straight set victory for him over a very much informed Felix Ogiarliasim. And we can talk about Felix a little bit if you like. But for me, watching Sitsipas, his on the run forehand. I know that's a very specific thing. But that's how you know he is in control and in command right now. His ability to say, you know what, I know you're going to pick on my backhand wing. I'm going to cheat over on that side anyways, look to hit inside-out, inside-end forehands. I'm going to bait you, dare you, to challenge my on-the-run forehand. His ability to get that ball deep and cross and just get the point back to neutral, I he is, I mean, the results speak for themselves, he is so freaking good right now on Clay Damien.
1: Yeah, I mean... uh totally agree as per uh, every single player who wants to be forehand oriented who wants to play every single shot he 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 can from the forehand wing needs to move exceptionally well to cover that forehand wing as, as also because you want to stand you know in the in the backhand position that's that's why we so often see players exposing that's little bit more space so uh, i totally agree that it's absolutely essential for him to to move well to that to that wing also you know he's playing uh, sinner tomorrow and it, uh, it instantly makes me think of the rome encounter last year which uh you know sinner just completely dominated he had a bit of a choke in the second set but but then came back to win the to win the decider easily but i remember back then everyone was thinking Pass cannot be good on clay, mostly because the backhand is so fragile, and also the, the return of serve is pretty bad compared to all the other aspects of his game that obviously isn't only on, on clay on, but on, on, on all surfaces. But as it turns out, this was <laughs> not true at all. I mean, uh, the backhand is not that much of a weakness on clay. The return of serve also, because he can just run around the backhand on return a lot, like he stands so far back on some of these returns that he can easily take them from the forehand, even if they're directed down the tee on the on the, on the outside and uh, and you know, and the other way around. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyhow, yeah, it, it's been incredible following him the, these past two weeks, especially as you know. I, I'm gonna say that I was one of the people who who always thought that Pass wasn't gonna have any success on clay, and I have to eat my words, <laughs> and I'm I'm eating them with pleasure. Honestly, <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's amazing how much confidence he has right now. And this match against Ojeda Lissima, I actually think he he had a a very tough opponent on the day. Uh, as much as there were some absolutely atrocious games from ojersey i mean that's that's kind of his issue right amazing ceiling amazing peak but lacking the consistency in if even in a match just 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 drops this game these games he was defending extremely well i mean cc pass. Uh, against the, against the forehand uh, from from Ojeda which was really tough today. Uh, the backhand slice, which was always always something that was criticized in Citypas's game, that, you know, that other other one-handers are, are are better at that. He's extremely good at resetting the point with that. Uh, the, the the ball skids so low. He he caught Ojeda Sim a lot of times at the net with that. Excellent, excellent stuff. I mean, 17 straight sets in a, in a row, right? That that says it all against some of the world's top players. Mm-hmm.
0: No, I, I think, you know, A, I would echo everything you say there, and I always appreciate a little slice of humble pie, you eating your words. I wouldn't have called you out for it, Damien. I would have been totally cool with it. You could have just pivoted there and said, no, I've been saying it from the get-go. He's that much better, and you broke it down perfectly. His ability to run around that ball or, you know, T- say six, seven feet behind the baseline on his return of serve, it gets him that much extra time and it's that much more difficult to jam him uh, with his return, which is still the weakness, the biggest weakness, we should say, uh, in his game. But you look for him over his career 157 and 81 in tour level matches on hard courts. He is 104 and 58, which obviously you're winning two thirds of your matches, but 45 and 16 for his career on clay. His break. Percentage, how frequently he's breaking serve, jumps from 18.6% on hard courts to 27.8% on clay. Now, via Tennis Abstract's top 50 leaderboard, which again measures those numbers for the top 50 players, he would go from being ranked number 44th in break percentage uh, on clay courts or on hard courts to being ranked with that 28 number inside the top 20 of returners on tour. And we know Steph. Stefano is one of the three, four, five best servers in the men's game. His plus one aggression, his ability to just defend that first serve, that's going to be the calling card for his career. But on these clay courts, for him to go from like a top, you know, number 45 of the top 50 players to inside the top 20 Top 20 may not sound incredible, but when you're the third or fourth best server on tour and you're also returning at a top 20 level, like, good luck beating that player, right, Damien? And to your point... FAA played one really bad service game. Uh, He had early break point chances. It was up love 40 in Pass's first service game of the match. Wasn't able to convert. Just double fault, couple plus one forehand errors to gift Pass that first break in the first set. And yeah, you mentioned it. The fact that he does seem to play those one, two stinkers of games, that's still the issue for FAA. But to round out your thought on Pass, it's just... It's one of those things where the numbers and the eye test match up. And by the numbers, he is playing, you know, uh, he's one of six players, or seven players inside the top 20 in both hold percentage and break percentage on tour. And it makes sense. He is the elite of the elite right now in men's tennis.
1: Yeah, I did not realize he his stats on uh, his return stats on clay were this good, mm-hmm. but in in, in, you know, in this case, uh, as you said, that this completely matches what what we what we see by eye, that he's pretty much, uh, you know, if if your return of serve is your worst shot, and I think shot or aspect of your game, and I think most would agree that 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 it's the biggest weakness of Tsitsipas and you're still in that top twenty. And I think that's, that that's probably a sign of how good you are, and and recently it's 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 just amazing. I mean, uh, lately uh, earlier we talked about if if Halep or bartik can win Roland Garros. I think right now everyone agrees that Tsitsipas is going to be a contender, mm-hmm. and I think the last two weeks have done. A lot for that for that case because before Monte Carlo, probably you know if if someone said Tsitsipas was going to enter Ron Garros as one of the top contenders, he, he wouldn't probably get much following, you know.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I I would echo everything you said there, and you know just to put a bow on this conversation, and because it is your first mini break podcast, I have to ask you the question I ask everyone who comes on a crack racket show. Okay. Of the next-gen ATPers, which for me is everyone born 1996 or later because that was the original next-gen campaign, right? And so that's just the next-gen generation for me. Of those guys, I have six players I will be shocked if they don't win at least one Grand Slam in their career. Six guys who I call my six locks. Like, they're going to get one. It's going to happen. Are they going to get 10, 15? I'm not saying that. I just I think they're all going to get one. Mm-hmm. I'm going to name the six. You tell me if you agree or disagree. Ready? Mm-hmm. Here we go. Yeah. Zverev. Hmm. <laughs> oh, right off the bat? All right. If that's no we might uh, no, an no,
1: I, no. I'd agree. I'd agree. I'd agree. Okay. Yeah.
0: No, no, no. If you do disagree, by the way, please disagree. Because, you know, the serve, the forehand, mm-hmm. but I would point out he's made what quarterfinals or better out I think, four straight slams.
1: Yeah. The Australian Open, the US Open. The French that was quarters? Yeah. So? uh Fourth no, round. No. Might have been
0: fourth round. You're right that he lost to center.
1: Yeah. For, okay, uh, so excluding four that front, one, so yeah, fourth, th- so fourth front,
0: so. round or better at the last four, quarterfinals three of the last four.
1: Yeah, uh, Yeah, I'd agree, but I think there is one on your list that I'm not going to agree. Okay, so. good.
0: Uh, Medvedev, on the list, yes or no? Yes, of course. Okay, Rublev, on the list, yes or no? Oh,
1: okay, then maybe there are going to be more. Uh, I'm going to say no for now.
0: Okay, I like it. Is it, give me the case, just because... Just because
1: he's still pretty one-dimensional and he has terrible win-loss records against his peers, like Zverev, Medvedev. um, Tsitsipas, I think he wasn't that bad against, but even lately, Rangaros' quarters, uh, Monte Carlo final. I mean, I think it will all just combine into into the fact that maybe, you know, in order to win a slam in... In two years or in three years, he's probably going to have to get through one of these guys. And he's, these matchups are simply terrible for him. I don't know. I feel there, like there is a huge chance that he might not get one. Mm-hmm.
0: No, it's an interesting case. I I can't say I disagree with your logic at all. I just I think he gets over the hump. But no, I again, all right, we are going to disagree then. Um, so I've gone through four. I've got two more for you. Yannick Sinner, I think he he's going to get one.
1: Yeah, it's early to tell, but yes.
0: Yeah, it's it's just tough. And then my last lock, and I think this is where we're definitely going to disagree. I'm still in the Felix Oshir seam camp. If you're selling stock okay. on him, I'll take it. That Just listen to his forehand for like 12 seconds. <laughs> the weight that he has behind that ball, his serve, his plus one capabilities, when he's on his front foot... He's going to beat you. And I know that, you know, the backhand can be overwhelmed at times, but I just think that his best gear is as good as all of those other guys' best gear as well. Now, just the issue for him is finding that top gear more consistently.
1: I constantly change my mind (laughs) thinking (laughs) about Ojal Yassim, actually. Last year at the US Open, uh, those. Forefront? Yeah, Forefront, when he played team, I was pretty certain that's going to be his big slam breakthrough. And then he lost, uh, what was it, 6-7, 1-6, 1-6, and team went on to win the slam. (laughs) So that didn't work out. Uh, I would definitely agree that he's going to win a title, Uh, an ATP title at some point. Mm Uh, I don't think that's good. that's gonna end on these seven yeah. or, or, or maybe even more finals, uh, but if I were, if I have if I have to say something for slam, I'm gonna say no. Mm-hmm.
0: That's fair. I can't again. I I understand your reservations. All right. So those are my six. Are there any again 1996 or later? Any names I didn't mention that you would say yes to? Because I feel like I you know a lot of the names I mentioned, a lot of tennis fans would be like, oh, yep, that makes sense. That those are the six.
1: I'm bad at, uh you know, dates of, of births okay. for players, but Tim is older, right?
0: Uh yeah, team's in '93, and he's already won one. Okay. And he's already <laughs> yeah, won one. Exactly.
1: What am I talking about? I even, I even, <laughs> <laughs> I even, oh, it is what? late. I, I mean, I even mentioned it like a minute late, a minute <laughs> earlier. Um, well, I was thinking about some younger guys. Mm-hmm. I mean, Alcaraz was honestly the, the first guy that came to my mind. <laughs> uh, i'm you know as i said that it was early to tell with sinner Mm -hmm. and with alcaras it's obviously yeah. it's basically guessing at this point uh did you did you talk about all the uh we th- pass was kind of mentioned mm-hmm. already yeah right? he's
0: a yes I the ones I didn't mess yeah, in are like the yes. Hachinov, Chorich, Demon Hour, Shapovalov Shapovalov and Korda are in a tier by themselves for me mm-hmm. right below where I'm just like maybe but I don't want to lock it like those other six I'm putting the reputation on people know those are my locks um but, no, it's funny that you have Alcaraz on that list. I would point out all of the—and you know this as well as anyone. You know, like, there's a list of six guys who, if you're setting a, a record for age in terms of how young you are on the ATP Challenger, you're going to join the company of Djokovic, Nadal, Del Potro, the GOAT, Richard Gasquet, who actually is the greatest under-18 ATP player of all time. Like, just go look at the numbers. Yeah. And then Felix Oshir Aliassime. He's the other guy on that list, and now Alcaraz is on that list a bunch as well. But every record, every stage, whether it was the juniors, whether it was the challenger level, early on in his pro career, that's why I'm still pro FAA because just go look at the record books. Like, he did it at every other record, and he was the youngest to do it. Like, yeah, he's 0 7 or whatever in ATP finals, but he's made seven ATP finals, and he can't even legally have a drink yet in the United States. Like, <laughs> the guy is going to be a stud.
1: Yeah, I mean, I just kind of don't trust him mentally no, it's fair. at this it's fair. point. Yeah. It's, yeah, but the, the, the partnership with Tony Nadal can can be a great thing, I think. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, obviously it's going to be a very different experience for for Tony, you know, having his, his nephew, is it? Nephew? Yeah, a yeah. uh, Nephew as a, as his protege, uh, like, mm-hmm. that was easy because he could just do everything like rafa said he was you know coming back from training crying and all that's not gonna happen here like (laughs) uh, he can't he can't be this hard because then you know felix is a grown-up he's just gonna fire (laughs) so (laughs) i'm not sure how they will both fit into that but i think tony dadler has proven that he can be a wonderful coach and maybe that's also someone who can help him with the mental side of things just kind of set he said something straight in his in his thinking in his process mm-hmm. no
0: absolutely i agree with everything you said there well uh again all of that was to say Tsitsipas, very good in his straight set win over FAA. Yeah. We talked about Sinner a little bit. I, this was a tough match because Rublev just, his legs were dead, right? And he found that second yeah. wind at the end of the second set, got the break back, was able to extend it to a tiebreaker, had a set point up 6-5 in the breaker. But you know what the kiss of death is when you're playing Yannick Sinner? Dead legs. And what was crazy to me and I'm curious your thoughts just on this last thing, because you talked about Rublev being a little bit one-dimensional. I can't say I disagree. What was so fascinating, Sinner actually has a more dynamic backhand than Rublev, and you're like, oh, like, forehand-wise, yeah, Rublev, that forehand's ridiculous, but Sinner's in that elite category, and then for him to have that dynamic of a backhand as well, you just watch Sinner play, and you're like, oh, my God, is this kid good.
1: Yeah, I mean, especially considering he's sort of maybe lanky physique Mm -hmm. like it was always some one of the things that was pointed out since he broke out that that where does this power where does this acceleration even come from and it's it amazes me to this day i mean watching him with rublev too Mm -hmm. uh, you know sort of but he only has that one that one huge shot yeah. <laughs> and see and see there it does it from both wings and uh, as you said today it was it was mostly the case of, of rublev being gassed which is a bit of a shame because i wish we i wish we got this matchup mm-hmm. in full because it can uh, that's we're probably gonna watch that like at uh, billion more times in the <laughs> yeah. future. so Exactly. That's, <laughs> I'm, uh, that's, I'm not going to be too sad about it. Yeah, that's, today, yeah.
0: that's what uh, I think they're they're both trying to make us understand because they were supposed to play earlier in the year, right? And Sinner had to retire down 2-1 in that first set, just had played so much tennis, and today it was Rublev who finishes the match, and shout out to him for doing that, uh, but just clearly was a little bit gassed. But they're like, yeah, don't worry, guys. We're going to play at least 15 times in the next 10 years, so we're going to get a look at that matchup. In terms of your other two results on the day, I don't have much to add about Nadal Nori, 6-1, 6-4 Nadal. Like, if you don't know what Nadal's game looks like on clay, you're probably not listening to this podcast. So I imagine most of you are well aware of his performances. Pablo Carrena Busta, uh, with his 6-4, 3-6, 7-5 win over Diego Schwartzman, it felt very similar and dynamic to this Fidelina-Kavitova match, where Schwartzman was just in control, was up big in that third set as well, and then once Coria Busta made his move, Schwartzman just kind of lost the thread. And it was five straight games for PCB. He ends up taking the match seven five in the third for Coria Busta, who won the title in Marbella a couple of weeks ago. Uh, obviously, playing some really outstanding—I would say the best tennis of his career since the tour resumed in August. Tough loss for Schwartzman, but you know your thoughts on the two Spanish victors we saw today in Nadal and PCB.
1: Yeah, in, in the case of Karim Pusta, maybe it's worth pointing out that he also had that dramatic loss to Rude last mm-hmm. last week. So I think it could be really important for him from a mental standpoint that he's back here and he's won a very similar, you know, something very similar in terms of drama and and he, he, perhaps if he blew match points again, that would have been you know just a mm-hmm. just a tragedy for him. So. Uh, I like Diego Schwartzman. That's not it, but I'm also happy that Bustela, you know got over some sort of a, a mental block that could have been if he if he lost again in in such close um, conditions. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Anyhow, <laughs> yeah. uh, Nadal. I mean, I wouldn't read ma- read that much like from from the Nori. Nori is not an opponent that can hurt. him on clay, exactly. probably yeah I'm, I'm i'm looking forward to seeing natal against someone who serves big mm-hmm. probably because re- the return of serve has been uh, a sort of an issue if you know if if it was an issue against ishikori in the second set then it's gonna be a much bigger thing against guys who i don't know like Tsitsipas or maybe not Sinner maybe not so much but against against someone like Tsitsipas uh, both against Ivashka and and Rublev, the the return of serve. Mm -hmm. Nadal's return of serve, if you look at the numbers, he's winning so much return, so so many return points. Uh, The percentages are crazy. Mm -hmm. But I think it was always argued that despite having similar numbers on return, Djokovic's return is so much better than Nadal's. And I would definitely agree with that. But I think right now it's still substandard compared to what he used to do. Uh, it's really not easy to tell what changed in adults game. Like why is he suddenly you know dropping a set to Ivashka on clay? Which is absolutely crazy when you think about how little Ilya Ivashka did on this surface in his career. I, I think for me it's maybe some sort of a physical issue like not in the in the sense that he's injured or something but just lacking intensity in his footwork in his i've never heard that nadal was weak defensively before and that's what's that's what i've been hearing that you know that that against Ivashka that that's what i've been seeing too that that his defending was actually not that great and maybe he's gonna he's gonna improve quickly but i'm really looking forward to seeing someone who can test him and i don't think even even despite taking a set uh, i don't think nishikori or nori are are the guys to test him on clay right now nishikori obviously could in the in the past but just not right now and i also for the record don't think that karenu pusta can can do much against him on clay i think their their the rivalry on clay was always very lopsided
0: <laughs> yeah, I you know to just add to that again, I think uh when you look for all of these players just across the board, uh they saw that CT uh the Rublev match, excuse me, last week against Nadal. They saw Ivashka, they saw that second set against Nishikori. It's not that Rafa it's not that anyone's saying Rafa's not the favorite entering the French Open. He is, but like, yeah, all three of those guys, there was a common thread, and to your point, it's that they all were able to take it to Rafa, right? They were able to be the aggressors, put him on his back foot, which is just not where Rafael Nadal ever is on these clay court matches. He's going cross court, cross court, cross court down the line. We all know the patterns, um, but you're right, Nori didn't have the weapon to do that to him today. But you look at tomorrow's semifinals in Barcelona. You know, Carreno Busta going to pressure him with that forehand. He's going to go after that wing. He's going to move the ball around the court. Uh, Physically, he's as locked in as any player right now in the men's game. So certainly that promises to be exciting. Sinner, Tsitsipas tomorrow. I mean, between Barcelona and uh, Stuttgart, I know what I'm doing with my Saturday. Like, I guess it's a good thing I don't have friends, Damian, right? (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, the the time zone is is really good for me, so I'm I'm definitely going to watch this all too.
0: Yeah, how funny is it by the way, Rafa's playing on Court Pista Rafa Nadal. Like I I didn't realize you could play on a court that has your <laughs> name on it actively. Don't we usually name the courts after the retirement?
1: Yeah, I mean that's what usually happens, Rod Laver said, don't play on his on this court in his in his time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean he probably doesn't care that much. I mean, yeah. I don't think it's, it's, it's anything of importance to him. No, of course not. I guess it,
0: but, uh, you know, it's just yeah. half the fun, right? It's just like, that's who Rafa is now. It's like, I am so good. I play yeah. on courts named after me.
1: Um, it's funny for the opponent, right? <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. That's what real thing. It's like Pablo Carino is yeah. just walking in. He's like, you know, I'm Spanish too, guys. Like, I get this is Rafael Nadal court, but like, it's, yeah. it's like every match is a home match for him.
1: Yeah, that has to be really weird, actually, for the opponent, right? Mm-hmm. Like, coming out to play Rafa Nadal on, on his court. No,
0: you walk out, you walk into the, st- like the stadium and there's a statue for Rafa. And it's like, wait a second, aren't I playing <laughs> him today? Like, why is there a statue here? Uh, and it's just, you're like, can I play the statue instead? Like, how about we switch this out at the very least? But no, I mean, again, in general, Sitsipa Sinner, Rafa, PCB, what are you watching for most closely?
1: Well, obviously, the, the second one, mm-hmm. Synergy City Pass, uh, that's also a matchup we should see a lot in the future. And, and is there anyone who's unhappy about it? Probably not. <laughs> not like Busta, kind you know, maybe I've just gotten used to it over the years, but like that just feels like another match, like against Nori today, that I will keep an eye on, but only really focus on if there's anything happening.
0: Yeah, no, uh, 100%. I think just, you know, if Carino Busta beats Rafa tomorrow, there may be a collective freakout because of how much success Rafa has had over every fellow Spanish player throughout his career. There really shouldn't be. Like, by eye test, and again, it's the eye test, not the numbers, not the history. I'm talking purely eye test. Carino Busta has been better than Rafa here in the early portions of the clay court season. Like, just, again, I don't think... If he wins tomorrow, I'm not going to freak out about Rafael Nadal losing again on clay because we've seen him lose multiple times before the French Open, and you can beat him in two sets. The hardest thing to do is to win that third set against him on clay, Uh, but... No, overall, as you're right, Sinner's got the firepower to test pos, but it looks like no one can test pos right now mm. on a clay court. So both of those matches are going to be outstanding. And then last, but certainly not least, and you know what? We're going to save the challenger stuff for you, Jakob, on your Monday podcast, but obviously... The fact that Jensen Brooksby keeps winning, Uh, if you have any thoughts, feel free to throw them at me. But, you know, tomorrow in Serbia, we've got a matchup between the two best players in men's tennis. Of course, the Australian Open champion, Novak Djokovic, 2021 Australian Open champion, who has still, I believe, uh, or, you know, outside of last week, has just the one loss here in this 2021 season. Versus the GOAT of all GOATs, Aslan Karatsev, who is the story of this 2021 season, I would say, it was funny, I think he might still be the win, no, I think he actually just got passed in wins, but... You know, obviously a little bit facetious there, but the fact that we get that Australian Open semifinal rematch, funny to say that djokovic Karatsev, much-anticipated rematch, but it kind of is much-anticipated. And, of course, that's matchup number one. Number two, going to be Matteo Berrettini taking on Taro Daniel, who had a very impressive win today over Federico Delbonis 4-6, 6 Your thoughts on the action in Serbia, uh, Damien? and your thoughts on, what, again, what you're going to be watching most closely from there this weekend.
1: Yeah, I was cheering Aslan Karatsev like crazy today and it's not like it's not that I don't like Luka Mager, I respect him a lot but that Djokovic-Karatsev match, I mean, at the Australian Open it just felt so absurd to me <laughs> that after watching Aslan Karatsev for, I don't know, like a couple of years on the Challenger Tour, never thinking he was gonna even make a main tour debut and then he's playing Djokovic, right? That, that was so absurd and so enjoyable, too. And <laughs> I'm really eager to see that. That's definitely the the one I'll be watching. Yeah, you know, I'll be focusing on. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I, you, I was just going to say, I, I agree. Uh-huh.
0: That I'm so glad you framed it that way. Absurd. That's so funny. Like, you're absolutely right. It was just at the time, especially for us Challenger Tour-level crossover fans who had seen Karatsev rip through the Challenger Tour, and you're just like, okay, but you know, the win over FAA that he won in five sets, you're like, okay, now it's going to stop. And then he just kept doing it, and you're like, okay, now it's going to stop. And then it was Djokovic, and it's like, oh, okay, now it stopped.
1: Yeah, I mean, you framed it nicely too. uh, Now it's going to stop is basically a sentence that I've been (laughs) saying to me about him (laughs) since the restart pretty much, I mean, every week. That was, you know, the the the, the final first, the final against Wawrinka in Prague, and then I was sure that next week can't be this good as well. <laughs> and then next week, and then next, and then Sofia, and then Australian <laughs> Open, and then Dubai, and then uh, what was it, Doha as well? Uh, I mean, do I give him any chance tomorrow? Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: No. The thing is, I would say this, his game, his ability to play front foot tennis, and that's been the theme of the week here on the podcast, first strike tennis on clay and its effectiveness, uh, Aslan Karatsev's game is beautiful. I mean, his ability to take that ball early, his condensed backswings, he'll take it to Djokovic, right? He'll He's not going to be afraid. Yeah, like I feel like he is a guy who at this point is just swinging freely, period, at all points of life, just not thinking at all on core pure instinct. At least he's got that going for you, right? And you need that element of confidence
1: when you're playing Novak. He's definitely going to take it to Djokovic, mm-hmm. but I'm not sure if that if that doesn't play into into Novak's hands okay. a bit. Like most of his issues on clay recently, like in the Novak uh, Evans match, uh, they were maybe he couldn't hit a winner. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it was more about generating pace mm-hmm. that he struggled at uh injecting it than 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 actual defense counter punching and against karatsev he's not gonna have to think (laughs) he's just gonna have to strike scrape for every ball and that's sort of easier to do i think that's sort of more he's gonna be more in his element and maybe maybe that just that's just gonna be easier for him for that reason uh, I, I, as I said with Sabalenka earlier, Sabalenka Halep. That I just don't trust first strike players on clay when faced with uh, when, when when they're meeting such a fantastic defender. I, I if if it didn't work out at the Australian Open, but there, then you know, then there may be a lot of nerves involved. Here it's gonna be. He's probably gonna feel much more comfortable than than in a in a semi of a slam. But if it didn't work out there on a very fast hard court, then here I'm not expecting it to be <laughs> better. Like uh, yeah. as yeah, I, I would be surprised if he takes a set. But at this point, would something even surprise me when we're talking about Aslan Karasev? Like. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, as you said, it's simply been now. It's gonna stop, and maybe maybe it's not now yet. Maybe yeah. it's
0: no. I agree with you. And for the record, I you're already part of the team, so this isn't buttering up. Can I just say that's such an excellent observation? You're right. It's the power generation for Djokovic that's been the issue on clay courts, and he's not gonna have to do that on these hard uh, on these uh, against Karatsev. Excuse me from a matchup standpoint. So v- thoroughly would echo everything you mentioned. Also, I feel bad because one of my favorite things during our 2019 podcast was talking about how disrespected Matteo Berrettini's season was, and I know it was like the third lowest point total ever to qualify for the year-end finals, but Berrettini won titles on hard courts, grass, and clay courts during 2019, and that power tennis, uh, it just transcends surface. It just works, and he's another guy who I think— has actually got, like, he continues to get better, and it's just, the ways for him to get better, why I like his upside is because the things he has to improve on are such low-hanging fruit. It's so obvious that he needs to continue to work on his backhand, and when it's, when your weakness is that obvious, I actually think sometimes that's a good thing, because it's like, alright, at least I know what I need to work on. I know what parts of my game work, I know what parts don't, At you know, there's there's time to set aside for maximizing strength, there'll be time to set aside for minimizing weaknesses. His game just makes sense to me, and his slice, just the uncomfortable position, the pace, the heaviness of his ball, it makes sense that his game works across surfaces, and I, I think, obviously, to get Taro Daniel in your semifinal, that's an ideal matchup, but I'm just, I, I feel like Berrettini's sort of become an afterthought of late, and it's just because he's been unhealthy, uh, it's because he's lacked health, not because of anything growing concern about his game, in my opinion. Would you feel the same way?
1: I think many uh, laughed him off, maybe a bit, in mm-hmm. two thousand twenty when, you know, pretty much the whole the whole season he stayed up there ranking wise because of the reform, because of the changes. Mm-hmm. But what was it, he didn't beat a single top thirty player, I believe, mm-hmm. in two thousand twenty or top twenty. I'm I'm, I'm not con- I'm not sure right now. Mm-hmm. I think, I, t- I think top, it was top thirty. Th- I think you're top correct. Top thirty, yeah. yeah. I think it was top thirty and but this year he's already he already has so many great wins uh, at the ATP Cup then Kachanov at uh, at the Austrian Open uh, obviously hasn't you know, was injured later he he hasn't played between the Austrian Open and Monte Carlo but so th- so this week i was sort of expecting him to flop again and I, I i was also one of these one of these people who weren't really sure that we're going to see Matteo Berrettini play as well as he did two years ago, but I'm definitely jumping on the hype train right now after after these two wins against Kravetvich and uh, uh These were just excellent, and and he, uh, yeah, maybe it's also some maybe also something's changing in the in the game that 1st strike tennis seems to work so well on clay that we're we're talking here about like what's the tenth a tenth player <laughs> yeah. who plays so so aggressively. I mean. Th- We've had Nadal and Djokovic and Karani Busta, but other than that, it's been just huge hitters, really.
0: Mm-hmm. No, I. that's been, again, the name of the podcast this week. First Strike, I think I named an episode earlier, First Strike Tennis, the name of the game right now on these clay courts. If you can hit through them, you have an advantage, uh, obviously. And again, up and down the boards, Djokovic, Nadal, Bardi, uh, Uh, all still in play. You've obviously just everyone in Stuttgart across the board. If you're looking for next-gen talent, you've got that in the men's and women's side. uh, You've got so much fun action happening across the tennis world. So, of course, we will continue to cover all of that action here at Cracked Rackets over the next few days. I know how late it is for you, Damien, so we can wrap today's podcast here. The final thing I want to ask you for our listeners, as always, what you've got coming in the queue where they can find all of your stuff, although I suppose now the answer is on our website, crackedrackets.com but if you would like to take a final moment to address anything you're watching closely on the challenger circuit this weekend the floor is yours my friend any final thoughts on everything that's happened this week in the tennis world
1: yeah so i'm gonna be quick i guess (laughs) Uh, in rome i've i've loved how hugo Hugo gaston is Mm -hmm. playing uh, absolutely excellent still yet to lose, lose a set uh, there was that great second round against Tanasi Kokinakis that I was fully expecting Kokinakis to win but he didn't and uh, I'm really impressed with Gaston's forehand this, this week It's you know he's remembered for all these drop shots and stuff but it's easy to forget how how good his forehand is and Talhasi, you mentioned Jason Brooksby I mean it's, it's been a week of players who are barely Barely playing, <laughs> just nothing left in the tank like Brooksby <laughs> and Kudla, but they're still going through. So it's going to be, be interesting tomorrow if, to see if they even have a, a shot at winning another match. Brooksby has Facundo Mena, which is definitely winnable. So so if if he manages to reserve preserve some energy uh, we'll see how how much sleep he gets this this, this you know today mm-hmm. and Kudla Kudla probably has a worse shot against Fratangelo and you know in Salinas we're not going to see any action over the weekend um, did you hear have you heard I was going you say
0: it rained out right they're just there's nothing no, they can no, do no
1: no it's actually the government restrictions really wow yeah, in a, an emergency to, lockdown so uh,
0: so no tennis
1: I'm not sure how that works because mm-hmm. I only saw some Spanish posts, but sure. they're gonna come back on Monday okay. and play. Well, uh, I think it was Andres Gomez who posted that the, mm-hmm. the 1990 Round Girls champion mm-hmm. because he's the tournament director in Ecuador, in correct? Salinas, yes. yeah, in, yeah, Salinas is in Ecuador, so mm-hmm. so yeah, he's the I think he's the tournament director there. Mm-hmm and it wasn't exactly clear if uh, both the semis and the finals are going to be played on monday or just this, just the semis and the final the final mon- on tuesday but they have the the space and the option to do that because they are also hosting uh, another event you know the the week after so it's not the end of the world but there's not going to be anything uh, during the weekend from salinas mhm
0: no, it's again, it's disappointing. Uh, obviously, C- certainly if you're a Nicolas fan, you're like, he has yeah. looked so good this weekend that served that forehand. And so, uh, just if anything, I suppose the rest of the field is like, well, at least we get to slow him down. But no, uh, again, as always, it is fantastic for us to get to have the opportunity to chat with you on today's podcast, Damien. Our listeners know to expect a lot more of you moving forward. They can check out your Challenger podcast Monday on our Great Shot podcast feed, they can check out your news. latest articles on our website crackrackets.com. but as always my friend I know how late it is for you thank you for taking the time to record with me stay safe stay healthy and we will talk to you next week
1: alright thanks
0: you enjoyed my conversation with our newest Crack Rackets contributor, Damien Coost, recapping all of Thursday's action, again, we are so excited to be able to get to share Damien's voice, his work with all of you moving forward to hear his challenger-themed podcast. Be sure to listen every Monday to the Great Shot Podcast channel to read more of his work. As always, tune into our website, CrackRackets.com, and expect to hear him more on this mini-break podcast moving forward as well. A huge thank you to him for staying up as late as he did here on Friday. We recorded this podcast about 1 a.m. his time. That was around the range when Sabalenka-Kantave had finally finished their match in Stuttgart, and all of Thursday's play was completed. So he's a trooper. We're so excited to have him share his work. Thank you to him for joining us on today's show. Of course, if you have missed any of the shows we've done this week covering all of the action, there's a lot going on. The four ATP and WTA-level events, three challengers, postseason play beginning across the college. Tennis world. If you've missed anything, you can find it all covered on our website, crackedrackets.com. Of course, I will ask, as always, that you like, rate, subscribe, review to this show, the Great Shot Podcast, our cracked interviews podcast, everything we're doing here at Cracked Rackets. Of course, if you need those more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, we are at Cracked Rackets. You want to message me directly, I am at Great Shot Pod. Shout out, as always, to our super producers, Max Ligner and Daniel Westoff, for the of at any job they do day in, day out. Shout out as well to our friends at Midwest Sports. Go to MidwestSports.com. Use that promo code CR15 to get 15% off your order. With that in mind, for my wonderful co-host today, Damian Kust, our super producers, Fligner and Westoff, our friends at Midwest Sports, and all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break. And we will see you all next time. Thanks, everyone.
1: back.